those who are just deconstructing and listening, let me know. I would imagine it's a really emotionally exhausting experience to deconstruct. Mm. It takes a lot out of you intellectually, emotionally. Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. And I'm Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast where we have uncut and honest conversations about faith, life, and ministry. Um, today, we are not in our normal recording studio. We're not. An astute observer would notice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, we've just green screened today. <laughs> yeah, we green screened this fantastic backdrop window. Mm-hmm. window behind us. Now, where are we actually? I don't know. Where are we? I just followed the GPS directions you gave me. <laughs> well, I mean, geographically speaking, I'm not going to let anyone know our location. Because oh, that's smart. Given how many views we got on our last episode, we are oh, getting gosh. pretty famous. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. 271 whole views. Uh, no, so this uh, this week, uh, we, are, we, we took a little retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, we rented a cabin out in the... In the the great, the great wilderness, mm-hmm. have a nice stream uh, that we're sitting by, and uh, we're just spending this week in uh, preparation, sermon prep, and mm-hmm. planning, and praying um, um, for next year, 2024. Yep. So if you go to Conduit, uh, if you go to our church, and you wonder how we, you know, like, maybe decide what we're going to preach on or what the church calendar is going to be or like if we just kind of pull things out of a hat and do them randomly, I would say that we're maybe a notch or two above complete randomness. <laughs> we're not, we don't have like expert level intentionality or expert level planning, but I will say that we are trying to get better every year mm-hmm. at creating lo- more long-range plans and goals. Yeah. And so uh, we we planned the whole sermon calendar for 2024. We so we, we tentatively know kind of what we're going to be preaching every Sunday. Yeah. At least the general series. Yeah. Not what the individual message is going to be. Right. But. I think we have one Sunday that we didn't plan, and it's the last Sunday of the year. Correct. So. Yeah. We got to that point and we were too tired to do anything else. <laughs> but we did want to come back onto the podcast and uh, talk a little bit about, well, we wanted to be able to release an episode on Monday, um, but we also wanted to talk about actually our last podcast episode. Yeah. Follow up from last week and kind of that conversation generated a lot of, I guess not a lot of, but more than normal uh, comments on the YouTube video mm-hmm. and some good discussion and some thoughts down there. And we thought those were definitely worth talking Addressing. about. Yeah. yeah. So if, if you don't listen um, on YouTube or you don't watch the podcast on the YouTube, you might benefit from going to the YouTube, the Cameron. YouTube. <laughs> I meant the episode on the YouTube, <laughs> the YouTube episode. How about that? Uh, if you don't listen on the internets, um, Pop over to YouTube uh, and hit the podcast, the Uncut Podcast channel, and look at some of the comments underneath the video from last week because mm-hmm. they were. I will say this: um, we've been talking a lot about deconstruction lately. It seems to be a really interesting topic for both of us. Yeah. Um, but um, 
in the space, in the online space of deconstruction, de- deconstructing your faith, um, the the dialogue can be really disgusting. Mm-hmm. Like really bad on both sides. Yeah. Christians who are interacting with those who have deconstructed or I should say not just Christians, people um, and then people interacting with people who haven't deconstructed. Yeah. Um, and and a lot of times those conversations just get really, really ugly. Yeah. Um, but what I will say is that although I don't agree with everything that has been written in the comments specifically of this last video, mm-hmm. I think the tenor of the conversation was excellent. Yeah. And I really appreciated it. Mm-hmm. And so if you're if you happened to find your way back to this episode mm-hmm. after commenting on our last one, I want to say thank you. Thanks for your good comments. Thanks for your interaction. A lot of good things to talk about mm-hmm. and, and respond to. We're going to try and get to some of them uh, today. And um, yeah, I feel, I feel, I feel honored that people would interact in a yeah in I, a nice way about it. Yeah, I and I the thing I thought that resonated with me is like you you know not everyone who comments on a YouTube video or comments on a particularly a long YouTube video like ours like listen to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I did get the sense that most people really did listen to it. Yep. And, you know, and so that's, you know, thank you. Yeah. So. Yep. So there were several different types of responses or comments to the video. And um, I think some of the questions or concerns that people had about some of the things that we said, I think were valid. Mm-hmm. Um, and. So it it might be important. I think it is important to address some of those as it pertains to deconstruction and the reasons why people deconstruct. Mm-hmm. Because I think what was the I think what people understood us as saying, whether or not we were actually saying that, is that people there was two there was two reasons that people um, accused us of believing that people deconstruct. One was about like um, uh, what would be apparent fringe, fringe theological beliefs, like really, really obscure yes. ones. Because we did, we did, admittedly, talk about some pretty obscure biblical interpretations. We did, we did. So, um, so I want to address that. I want to, I want to address, address, um, you know, fringe theological beliefs as the basis for deconstructing. Um. There was some other comments about how we um, may have leaned a little bit too hard on the angle of um, the church hurt me, therefore I deconstructed. Mm -hmm. And I will admittedly say that, you know, yes, I do think that that is often a reason that people deconstruct. Yeah. Is from some emotional hurt, Mm -hmm. but it's fair to say, and as I talk with more people who have or who are deconstructing, I'm becoming, I am, I'm learning that 
while it usually is a part of someone's story, mm-hmm. it's almost never the whole thing. Yeah. I think the other reason that we were kind of, at least our our focus in that episode was somewhat in that direction, was we had just, we were just talking about an account on, right. online. I'm going to check that account real quick. Yeah. There, there was a, there's a local account that's exposing a Christian institution uh, in our area over some really just abuse, uh, some pretty awful things, um, including like the, the Nephilim. Mm-hmm. Was it the Nephilim? Yeah, it was the Nephilim thing. Mm-hmm. So like we actually, you know, we did pull that from like somebody locally taught that. Um, and some people, you know, sat underneath that teaching and it's, and it's harmful implications and all mm-hmm. of that. So, uh, so that was a little bit of what colored our direction a little bit is because we were in part off, even though we didn't talk about it on camera, I don't think no. we were responding specifically to an account that was in our local area addressing some spiritual abuse and things like that yeah. and just actual abuse. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't actually believe or think that people are walking around deconstructing their long held Christian belief or faith or whatever, because they can't get behind a theological belief about the Nephilim or, or some, some idiot somewhere talked about the mark of Cain being dark colored skin and like, right. I think even it does happen. It does happen. But but, I, but admittedly, it's but it's, it's very it's more French. I don't know yeah. that it's ever been like, oh, that's the reason I'm deconstructing. Yeah. Suppose I'm wrong, but I could be wrong. But like those fringe beliefs, those fringe theological beliefs, we don't believe that they are like the. At least I don't believe that they're like the main reason that people do. I think they contribute. Mm-hmm. They can contribute. But even there, I, I don't think that it's actually the belief system. I, I wonder if it's that the actual belief system that people deconstruct from in that way, or if it's the spirit behind which that thing is taught or that thing is believed by the person that's like promulgating how, it. Like how could somebody who holds my belief system also believe that particular thing? Or are you saying like um, the hate? Like I, I, I don't know. Make help me understand your point a little bit. I think that there is a I think that there is a spirit that comes out of a lot of those fringe theological interpretations mm-hmm. that is um that does not have that it's very difficult to find any evidence of the love of God in. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um and so well, even in some non-fringe, there, there, and even in some non-fringe, of non-fringe course, yes. and biblical interpretations, there are camps of the church that certainly dem- don't demonstrate the love of God. And we talked about this. We ta- I feel like we've talked about this a lot this year, on the podcast and often just in ministry in general, of this um, really unhelpful 
way that Christians have kind of identified what it means to be a like mature believer. This idea of like, I just need to know things. Mm-hmm. I need to know more theology. I need to be able to read the Bible. I should be able to teach the Bible. And if I can do those things, then I'm mature. When really, like the biggest mark for maturity that Christ and the Bible and the New Testament gives over and over again is love. Mm-hmm. We will no- be known not by how much theology we know, but by how we love. Yeah, yeah. We won't be known by our view of what the Nephilim is or whether or not mentally and physically handicapped people now are Nephilim. Right. We will be known by when I interact with this person, do they like, do they know that I love them? Right. Is my, is love being expressed right. and incarnated in my interaction yeah. with them? And so the, the thing that unfortunately I think happens in some church cultures and, and churches and organizations is we put people up who have teaching, you know, gifts or like are really good at teaching or at least seem to know a lot, but don't demonstrate a maturity in love that they perhaps should. Mm-hmm. And so you've, you know, and you can see this in... You know, um, lots of people, um, you know, a less fringe theological thing that a lot of people wrestle with is like biblical teaching on uh, gender and gender roles. And, you know, complementarianism is not, at least I don't think it's fringe. Um, And so, Mm -hmm. you know, but there are some expressions of complementarianism in church and home life that definitely lack love. Yeah. Right. And to a point at which I don't think they're complementarian anymore. I think they're something else, but they would call themselves and, you know, the world, it would be called complementarianism. I would just say that's just abuse. Um, Yeah. It's just a veiled form of authoritarianism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. Is that what, so you're saying just kind of like there's this absence of the love of Christ and if that was there, that would make a difference. I think so, because we could normally, I think even agnostics and even some atheists are not necessarily hostile to a Christian's belief, even in the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Believe what you want, bro. You know, believe what you want. Mm-hmm. I think what they react strongly against is the is the um, form of um, spiritual or just any type of superiority, the spirit of superiority, the spirit of judgment, mm-hmm. the spirit of hate, even in some cases, that comes from the person that holds these, what they consider to be deeply held Christian convictions. Yeah. And so I think, I think much of, much um, much of the disagreement that those who have deconstructed or those who are just abjectly agnostic or atheist have with those who still attest to or hold to the Christian faith is not necessarily that, hey, you're an idiot for believing these things. Yeah. But it's more of like a, um, the way in which you believe them has preached them to me as being not could not possibly be true or at least not something that I want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh and so i think that's a growing edge of understanding for me hmm. um because a lot of those who i've been interacting with like in their deconstruction in the last few weeks and months are like you're you really don't understand i didn't deconstruct to get away from jesus like i deconstructed to get closer to jesus mm-hmm. now granted it was a jesus of a it was what they would consider to be a fresh interpretation of jesus not the jesus of evangelicalism right not the jesus of conservatism not even in some cases the Jesus of progressive liberalism, mm-hmm. just some other Jesus, hmm. which I would say has its problems, but I also understand it. I I want I want to follow the Jesus that is free of the labels and biases that we have in the world now. Yeah, who doesn't? Um, but I think it is, I think what ends up happening a little bit is that the baby gets kind of thrown out with the bathwater. Yeah. And we begin to, um, we begin to discount or just completely throw away um, maybe things that strike against modern sensibility or cultural sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, saying that, well, this can't possibly be true or this this belief must be it must be a product of toxic evangelicalism because it really 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 seems to be ugly mm-hmm. or makes me uncomfortable or um, doesn't what I'm learning here like some of the things I want to talk about here or um, is not conducive or not conducive or like not representative of what like the reality of the world that we can see actually is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was a reoccurring theme, at least in the comments that we had. Yes. So, I mean, maybe this is, maybe this is an unhelpful analogy. This is the analogy, at least that immediately comes to my mind is we as pastors, we have a lot of people in our church who are uh, ex Catholic. And and some <laughs> as much as anyone can be ex Catholic, yeah, I don't much know. Like... Ex Catholic, yeah. Right. But, well, but they grew up in the Catholic Church. Grew up in the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and and what we find, and I think, has been like a generational thing, not unique to our ministry in in particular. But what I found is that like, um, people who've grown up in the Catholic Church left the Catholic Church and came to non-denominational evangelicalism sometimes have a little bit of like fright or scared of or scared of like things that are seemingly Catholic. Catholic, yeah. Um and <laughs> I don't do that. It's too Catholic. It's too Catholic. It's yeah. you know, um and and what happens is we end up rejecting a caricature of Catholicism mm-hmm. and we end up throwing away some things that are really treasures of the church. But for some reason, we feel like, well, that's that's just that's just got to be wrong, because of maybe the way I experienced it in an unhealthy Catholic ex- way, or um, some Catholic priest explained it to me this way, even if that priest wasn't representative of like accurate or good Catholic theology. 
Um, you know, so I guess it's kind of a, it's a somewhat niche analogy because, you know, not everyone's going to quite see what I'm saying there. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, do you see the, see the way, see what I was trying to do there? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one, one of these things that I would like to, one of the, the things, the questions that I would like to look at, or one of the statements I would like to look at, and it's, I kind of have it in a bunch of different places here. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, like maybe try and give me a second to put it together. But um, there's a, so there's a few, there was a few comments. One is that uh, this comment was made is that your, your beliefs aren't, aren't he was talking about i think like the um a lot of people reacted against um uh uh a lot of people reacted against the discussion about like choosing your belief and um i think mm-hmm. yeah like choosing it because we believe it's true yes or yeah choosing Yes. Rather than just reacting to what is true, right? Or yeah. right, um, and and so this one guy said that your 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 beliefs aren't necessarily less strange than than the guy that has his own beliefs that are different. You're just used to your beliefs, so mm-hmm. they're not they're not strange to you. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, um, and and so that brings up like, well, have you ever? Is there any? spiritual or intellectual honesty with your beliefs are you willing to be wrong Mm -hmm. are are you willing to um are you willing to acknowledge that any of the beliefs that you have could be wrong yeah because i said in the last episode obviously i believe that the things that i believe are true yeah otherwise i wouldn't believe them Mm -hmm. but are you willing to acknowledge that the things that you hold as true could be wrong Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little bit of a philosophical it is. statement, um, because you know, am I am I willing to acknowledge that the things that I believe are true could be false? Well, I mean, I think you would have to assume. I, I think that that makes the assumption that I have not examined the things that I believe mm-hmm. and have already, at least in whatever way is comfortable or reasonable for me, have determined that any objection to the beliefs that I have are um, that, that I just ha- like the, that I just haven't, I've put my horse blinders on and I've said, okay, no, this is what, this is what conservative evangelicalism tells me to believe, and I'm not going to look at any of the periphery effort, evidence, and I'm just going to believe the thing that I want to believe without being like, oh, I'm going to look over here to see what this is, mm-hmm. and I'm going to look over here to see what this is. Uh, okay, ex- I examine that. Okay, I examine this. I examine this. I examine this. Okay, what do I? what am I going to believe what do I believe now? Okay, I I believe this. Mm-hmm. I think it like I can't speak for the way in which all people develop their belief. Yeah, but I can say with a, with a fairly large degree of 
certainty that the beliefs that I hold are not untested. Mm-hmm. They are not unconsidered. Right. They are not held ignorantly or in a sense of either theological or cultural naivety. Mm-hmm. I I have cultural competence. I'm not disconnected from the culture that I live in and the world I live in and the reality that we see. Yep. Not culturally ignorant, but I've chosen the things that I've chosen after I've chosen to believe the things that I believe after a period of like pretty significant examination of those beliefs Mm -hmm. over the course of all of my adult life and part of my adolescent life. And in fact, in some ways, and you wouldn't, like most seminary, most people who don't go to seminary won't know this. Yeah. And this might not be true in every seminary, but it was true in mm-hmm. a lot of my classes is that your high seminary professors and some of my other postgrad and um, both pre, both pregraduate work and postgraduate work were would intentionally and actively like would would give us material mm-hmm. yeah. that was the complete opposite direction of the faith tradition that we had come from, mm-hmm. forcing us to engage with it in such significant ways that it became an uncomfortable exercise to have it confront our long-held belief. Mm-hmm. And then we had to sort out what we actually believed in the face of what was a compelling argument for the other side. Yeah. And virtually with every theological system and belief that we hold, that was the task of seminary. It wasn't to say, this is what you must believe, and this is how you must teach it, and this is how you must lead. Right. It's like, a, okay, here are four books on human sexuality from four completely different perspectives, mm-hmm. progressive, liberal, conservative, evangelical, orthodox, Western, Eastern, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Figure it out. Read them all and respond. And, and so I do think that the deconstruction crowd has painted a caricature of the evangelical crowd Mm -hmm. that says they are so blind in their belief that they're unwilling to, that they are unwilling to examine other viewpoints. Now, I've met people that are that are unwilling to examine other viewpoints. Yeah. I I accept and receive that they are out there. They exist. They do <laughs> exist, right? Um however, I think not everyone who holds our beliefs also has never examined them. Exactly. There are those who have examined and said, nope, this is this is it. That was one of the things I, I I haven't had this conversation in a while, but it's a conversation I had multiple times and usually with someone who was um, not a believer. And it was usually the question of like, well, did you grow up in the church? Mm-hmm. And that was always their, that was their easy way of explaining saying, well, well, you grew up in the church. Therefore, that's what you believe. So like you can't make any truth claim on it because you having been brought up in it somehow nullifies your wrestling with it. And, you know, and then I would use truth or it's truth. And I would usually share my story with them and they were like, Oh, so like you haven't always thought this. I was like, no, at one point I thought there was no God. Like that was a point in my life where I was an atheist. I was quiet atheist because 
um, to out myself would have outed myself from like my family and all the stuff that I was around. But like, yeah, I thought Christians were full of a bunch of doo doo. Uh, <laughs> You're not allowed to say shit on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I didn't think Christians were very good. I didn't like Christians very much. I thought they were a bunch of emotionalists too. Mm. Um, yeah, I thought like it was a lot of emotional hype. Mm-hmm. And that's still a critique that Christians get a lot of times, and mm-hmm. not unfairly sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think to kind of get back directly to your point, I, I I do like I resonate with that, but I also like there is like a little bit of validity in that. Like, I'm not I'm not a scientist. Like a scientist creates a scientific theory. And the science scientist then has to say, like, well, this is my theory, right? And it and point of a scientific theory is it's supposed to be tested, retested until it is like driven down into the ground. Uh, it's either proven false or it's been proven right so many times that people just give up on trying to prove it false, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's and. That's, you know, that takes scientific intellectual honesty and impartiality to do. Um, I, I like, I'm honest, if I'm honest with myself, like, while I'm certainly open to having honest conversations, confronting different beliefs, um, have done serious seasons of that in my life in the past, have wrestled with things, willing to do that potentially again in the future. I'm not willing to live my life in a constant test tube Mm. of constantly saying, Hmm, I don't know. Like, maybe this is true. Maybe this is like, I'm not willing. Like, it's just not how I want to, I don't think, I don't think most people can live their life that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the things that like, I don't know, those who are just deconstructing and listening, let me know. Um, But I would imagine it's really emotionally exhausting experience to deconstruct Mm -hmm. takes a lot out of you intellectually emotionally um Mm -hmm. and so there is at some point where i kind of have to like set this aside and say i'm i'm not going to continue to um to search out those Mm -hmm. arguments necessarily or I'm going to continually re-examine every aspect of my faith all the time because I simply just don't have the capacity to it. I part of me wants to live my life underneath in faith underneath that, and that's I think one of the things that came out in some of the comments is I was going to I was just going to say like one of the comments essentially directly directly challenges that viewpoint. Yes, it says. If you are wrong, do you want to know it? I mean, kind of, yes. Yeah. Kind of, no. Um, mm. Like, I mean, I guess, like, do I want, to, would I would ra- would I rather know the truth than knowingly not know the truth? Like, yes, I would rather know the truth. Mm-hmm. But there also is a point, and this is, you know, and this is why I'm, I think you probably fall in this camp a little bit, but I know I fall into this camp and this makes having some of these conversations kind of weird for me is because I'm not like a classical or evidentialist apologist by nature. So for those who don't know what that means, like traditional defenses of the faith, like 
I think have importance. You should know them. Like, you know, understanding why we believe what we believe, mm-hmm. the science, like the evidence of the world around us that mm-hmm. seems to indicate that, the philosophical arguments that support that. But at the end of the day, the way I live most of my life is not in those camps, which is where I'll dip my toe into them and come in and out of them. But where I live most of my life is in a fideist camp. Yep. Which Same. by that is faith. Yep. It's a it's a kind of an acknowledgement of that like my lived experience mm-hmm. and the way that the world from the view from which I am able to take it in seems to line up with and my own personal experiences with God are the testament to me that I have found God and that I'm following after him. Yep. Um and so to the listener who is intellectually got objections to the Bible, to some of my personal convictions, that's not a very compelling argument. Not to me, at least to me, it's not. Or right. to you, it's not. Right. Yeah. And so I, I I acknowledge that. Like, but there is a point. Was it? Um, so one of the co- commenters mentioned him. Um, Aquinas. Aquinas. Was yeah. it Aquinas that said um, faith? Is or faith seeking understanding, faith seeking understanding, yes. Um, which is this idea of we don't like, like, there is a point at which faith is required to have faith for pretty much, and there's also, you know, well, there's faith is required to have understanding, faith is required to have understanding, yeah. and faith is required for pretty much anything, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. You, we could go down Descartes, um, like you know, find the one unmovable truth and then move from there, right? He, in a sense, deconstructed everything, including sensory perception, saying you cannot trust it and came to the truth. I I am, right? Mm -hmm. Or I I think, therefore, I am. Mm -hmm. You know, the the one thing he could not doubt was that his own consciousness existed. Mm -hmm. And that's an unsustainable place to live in life. Now, granted, he built it back up and went other places from that place. But... There is a point at which we have to trust that, like, I actually am sitting in a chair mm-hmm. and not deny that this is maybe part of the Matrix or something like that. Blue pill, baby. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's all good thoughts. So, um, okay, I want to move on to something that's maybe okay. semi-connected but still a little bit different is um, the response in many of the comments um, is a what i would term and i don't mean this pejoratively what but what i would term as a um like a people are often deconstructing or one of the reasons they're deconstructing is because of a sense of like anti-supernaturalism and the reality of the world that we live in yeah it's it is somewhat connected to what we were just you know it is apologetic essentially someone asked about miracles i think yeah, you know, he said essentially that there's a huge disconnect between what they see in the pages of scripture and reality. Yeah. You know, in the pages of scripture, they see things like donkeys talking and yeah. man walking on water and water turning into wine. But it yeah. seems like, it seems like the best that God can do now is send someone's cancer into remission. Mm-hmm. So what then, how can we possibly take the Bible seriously in relationship to the reality of the world that we see. Yep. Um, 
and I, I let's let's hold that for a second. Okay, hold it. We're holding I'm it. Holding it right here. And then we're going to a second comment or mm-hmm. an additional comment that talks about the, and the, I think they were asking an honest question about either what we thought about it or what Christians in general think about um, essentially the authority of scripture, mm-hmm. which for, you know, most Christians like is the, the basis upon which we build our belief. Yeah. Right. Um, and ask this question, am I wrong in saying that by faith, the Christian is trusting Paul's claim in second Timothy three sixteen that essentially says the Bible is true because the Bible says it's true. Yeah. Um, basically, are we just taking Paul's word for it? Mm-hmm. That was the the crux of the of the of the comment there. Yeah, and um, and we've actually addressed this quite a few times, um, somewhat on the podcast, all mm-hmm. the way back, even like the first or second episode of the podcast, um, about like what is scripture and what is authority. Mm-hmm. We've also taught, not that anyone out there would know this unless we were unless they were part of our church, but we've also taught whole classes uh, at the church on what the Bible is and what the Bible is not. Right. And, um, and while we probably don't have the space in this week's podcast to rehash many of those arguments, um, you know, I, I think that there is a, um, I'm continually convinced that there is a, um, not only is there a biblical illiteracy in the church yes. among Christians, mm-hmm. but there is a biblical illiteracy, even from the stance of like a prolegomena um, <laughs> about the Bible outside of the church mm-hmm. and what it actually is and what it actually isn't. Because a caricature has, again, a caricature has been built about what the evangelical thinks the Bible is. Yeah. And so they attack the caricature rather than what really is the history of both biblical interpretation and mm-hmm. the development of the canon yeah. and all of that. So I guess um, how would you begin maybe in the time that we have to respond to like some of those um, some of those comments. I mean, I guess like I would just continue to say a little bit of what I was already saying in that if you were looking for something where zero faith is required, you probably just shouldn't believe anything. Like, I don't know, like, right, if you, well, I mean, this kind of a, back and forth, right? Like people have been arguing philosophically about proving God or disproving God. And the thing is, is that uh, neither side is necessarily definitively one, right? Or at least right. if we were talk from like a, not from our perspective, but from a large perspective. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and the burden is not only on us to prove that God exists. There's also a burden on the opposite end is to prove that he doesn't prove that he doesn't. Right. Um, I guess like there, and, and this is something that I do think 
unfortunately gets kind of not talked about when people are making arguments for the Bible, arguments for Christian faith, is it is tempting as a teacher or as someone who's making the argumentation for Christ, for the Bible, to gloss over the places where faith is required. Like, I do think that there is a point at which, like, we do have to take in faith that what Paul says is true. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with our own experience, find it also to be true. Um, So I guess, like, in in an absolute way to some of that question is, like, somewhat, yeah, you you do have to at some point, you know, trust, take faith. Um, I don't know. Do you agree with that? I mean, yeah, I I do agree with it. There comes to there comes, you know, you 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 walk a path far enough, and you come to a point where the next step that you have to take must be a step of faith. Yes. But I don't think that necessarily that means that every step that you take on that path is one of faith. Yeah, I, I think agree. that there are like there are. See what I think that he this one commenter was essentially asking was like a is the does does it require that we just trust that the Bible says it's true so therefore it is true or which I don't believe. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that we would just take Paul's words in second Timothy chapter three and be like, well, you see right here in these pages, it says, trust this whole thing. Right. Otherwise so, we would believe every movie that says based on a true story right. or found footage. And we'd believe like, you know, you know, whatever just, movie well, it becomes, a, it, it becomes obviously a logical fallacy of cir- circular reasoning. Yeah. But it also ignores what the actual history of the development of the canon is mm-hmm. and and what the Bible actually is versus what it is actually not, mm-hmm. you know, and and like what, you know, there was one comment towards the end about like, um, you know, no serious, you know, no serious geologist, no serious scientist or whatever believes that. Um, you know, Noah's flood actually happened, mm-hmm. right? Okay, and and there there are lots of really, um, there there are lots of people who have given their lives to, you know, to make those arguments from an apologetic standpoint. And I'm I'm not an expert in them, and so I don't intend to make them. Um, but I I do consider myself an expert in scripture and mm-hmm. in like the history of scripture and what, and what I would say is that like um, what, what I would say is that like there, and we said this a little bit in our last episode is that there is, we can't, ex- we can't ignore things in, we can't ignore things like genre. Yeah. We can't ignore things like literary context yeah. We can't ignore things like historical context. We can't just rip the Bible out of the context in which it was written, mm-hmm. superimpose a 21st century postmodern reality onto it, and expect that we're going to have alignment between all of those things because they're not the same. Right. And and the way in which we look at a text, a group of words on a page or a book is so incredibly different than the way someone in 
Sumeria looked at it, the way someone in the ancient Near East looked at it, Mm -hmm. the way in which they saw literature back then, the reason in which they were writing, right? Uh, The purpose for which they were writing. So, like, to say, to say, oh, like, well, the Bible says, hey, just trust me, bro. So then I guess we just got to trust it. And I just can't, I just can't, like, get behind that level of, like, that level of, um, like, that methodology. I agree. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't get behind it either. But I don't think you have to get behind it in order to be like, no, I believe the Bible is reliable. Mm-hmm. I believe that, um, I believe that it is an accurate account of the things that happened in Jesus' life, that there yeah. were there were eyewitnesses to the life of this man, Jesus in the first century, mm-hmm. both Jewish and non who wrote accounts of his life from their perspective. And while there are some differences in the details that they account, there are not, there are not large scale contradictions in the general thrust of his life and movement that's recounted in the gospel. And then we have this history of the church being of his followers being, being like, a group, a larger group of his followers being developed and like getting to this point where now letters are being shared between different communities and leaders in those communities to different communities. And, and as these things are being coalesced over time, like, and we're not talking a long period of time. We're talking about a a time period of like 60 to 70 years Mm -hmm. between like the end of Jesus's life and the last essentially book in the new Testament was written. Right. And so we're talking about within a generation, right? These texts were being, were kind of starting to, to bubble towards the top. And like I've said, I've used this analogy so many times in my teaching and in classes and in preaching that, you know, um, the community of people, at that time who were gathering around the truth or their, their own experiences with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then we're integrated into the Christian community that we see in like the Pauline letters had firsthand knowledge, firsthand experience of what was, of what was happening. Yeah. And so, and so they actively went about stomping down I'll use that term however violent it may seem stomping down snuffing out delegitimizing mm-hmm. accounts written accounts oral accounts that did not faithfully represent the actual experience of the commu- the lived community that was there that was right. there to experience similar to a way that if we have a, had a love like when I die if someone were to write a biography of my life that was just so far-fetched and like didn't happen, I would expect that those who knew me and were part of my life would be like immediately go to the press essentially with like a, this is not true. Do not like we were there. Mm-hmm. We saw it. We know him. We, we like it was part of our life. And so the, and that's essentially what happened in the Christian community in the development, right. at least of the new Testament. Mm-hmm. Now, I anticipate that there's going to be a thousand comments about that 
um, in the next video about how well, like, what about this and what about this? And understand, like, my gosh, in a fifty to sixty minute, um, yeah, I think we took like I don't know several weeks of hour and a half long teachings to talk about some of this stuff, and we didn't even scratch the surface. Yeah, like, yeah, of course we can't hit every single nuance to the building of the Christian canon. Like, right. oh, what about Constantine? And they got all these white men in a room and they all decided what was going to be true. Yeah. It's like a wildly simplistic understanding of those councils. Mm-hmm. Council of Nicaea, Council of Constantinople, Constant Trent, or the Council of Trent. Like, wildly simplistic. Yeah. Um, There are volumes of there are volumes written on those on those historical um, councils by non-Christians mm-hmm. that um, that are, uh, are are much more clear about what happened and what didn't happen in those. Yeah. But but anyway, so yeah, understand that. Like yeah, we're not going to be able to hit every single nuance, but um, but there are reasons to trust the there Bible. There are as reasons reliable. to trust it yeah. historically as reliable. Yeah. N- not simply as or exclusively as a matter of I just am choosing to believe this by faith. Right. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So I do I do think I will I will acknowledge that I do think that the caricature of like the Christian who is kind of just I don't know, kind of a uses the Bible as a bit of a hammer. Like mm-hmm. it does exist. I think I think it's Oh my gosh. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I I think I think I think our generation of pastors, I think we're becoming more I I don't know. And maybe it's maybe that's just too simplistic to say, but there is a growing like group of people who are evangelical in faith but also are willing to understand genre and maybe not take things as mm-hmm. bluntly <laughs> or yeah. as kind of like, I, I don't know. I don't blindly blindly or as kind of simplistically, right. Mm-hmm. Of just kind of saying like, well, like that's what it says. And it doesn't matter that this is a poem, mm-hmm. you know, th- like, <laughs> right. Right. You know, and uh-huh. uh, you know, that's why you do, Man, we're gonna get flagged. Uh, like that's why, like there are like an amount of flat earthers <laughs> no, for who are Christian is <laughs> because they take very, very, very seriously mm-hmm. Genesis. And if you read Genesis, it kind of describes a flat Earth because that's what ancient Middle East people thought. And so you know, it talks about the pillars and the firmament and all of that stuff. And so there are some people who, but it's also extraordinarily poetic language yes they it is poetic they language. weren't writing with a 21st century scientific theory mind right well, me and you say that right. but there are people out there who don't right and land in flat earth land um, oh my gosh how could you be so dumb <laughs> trust me um <laughs> i met some of them at my bible college i was like no jeepers how did you get in here um but anyways um but then what do you say, I guess, like, maybe this is, I know we're running up on the upper end of our of our time, but that's kind of talking about scripture. What do you would say, I don't want to leave miracles unaddressed. Mm-hmm. What do you say about miracles? 
What I would say is that. All right. Well, I would say two things. Mm-hmm. One, I would say that there. Um, it depends on who I'm talking to. Okay. And since we're we're talking about this in the context of those who, well, I don't, maybe it's not completely fair, but it's hard to talk to people who aren't here, um. right? Well, yeah, it, you know, I, I think that if you were to sit down with someone and you were to say, okay, let's start at the boat, the most basic level of belief. Do you believe that there is a I'm talking about Christian God and talking about Jewish God and talking about Muslim God and talking about Hindu God? Do you believe that there is a God? God? Mm-hmm. If the answer is yes, right, which I think for a strong majority of people, the answer is yes, right, or a or maybe at, or at the or maybe <laughs> right okay so we'll even take that mm-hmm. say say okay if there was a god mm-hmm. can we come to a place of agreement that um he would be god would be um able to willing to and um, somewhat regularly uh, have the power to defy what we can see as the laws of nature in order to essentially insert a miraculous event right. into life. Yeah, essentially, if you acknowledge the, the potentiality of God existing, do not you by that nature except at least the basic premise because he wouldn't be God. Right. If he wasn't able to do something miraculous. Right. And so the question is not so much on, you know, do or do more, not miracles exist or happen. It's more of does God exist? If you think God could even potentially exist, you need to at least be willing to accept that there could be miracles. Right. Because if someone say, no, I, I completely and categorically deny that anything could, that there is any God whatsoever. It's like, okay, well, I mean, we're wasting our time talking about whether miracles exist or not mm-hmm. because there's no outside basis for which the laws of nature could be flipped. Right. But if you acknowledge that there could be a God, then I think it's, it's a, it doesn't take a it doesn't take a huge philosophical leap or even logical belief beyond even the agnostic belief of mm-hmm. maybe potentiality of God right. that that God would have the power to defy the natural laws yeah. natural laws which I think that's all the miracle really is it's like the yeah. kind of the reversing of the flipping of what we see as like natural and observable law mm-hmm. yeah. And so it is like, um, I guess I would, I, I don't know, there's, there's probably to take it another step further would be to say like, you know, why don't, you know, well, why then don't we see miracles just all over the place, Cameron? And part of the answer is that, well, they wouldn't be miracles then. Um, <laughs> right. They'd be, they'd be normal. Um, yeah. yeah. And the other thing too, is that like, you know, when we read the Bible, we're reading a, con- a, a condensing 
of history, human experience, and God intervening. Um, Actually, in a pretty small chunk of the history of humanity. Right. And so, you know, yes, God is on every page because it's the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> I don't mean to be disrespectful, but uh, <laughs> but that's, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's going to be miracles in here. Um, and, you know, in, in your span of life, even if you say you lived in the Bible, right? In your span of life, how much miracle would you see? Probably very little. Right. Very, very little. So, to mm-hmm. us, reading it from our vantage point, it seems like, oh my gosh, there is just always this, always these massive things. And, mm-hmm. you know, and while there certainly are big miracles in the, in the Bible, absolutely. I, I don't, I don't think it's quite fair to say that it's like just, you know. That, Everywhere, all the time. Yes. Everyone. Right. And God does absolute like inside the Bible, God does seem to change how, when, and what kind of miracles he does. Like there's, you know, the, the other thing too is if you acknowledge there's a God, you acknowledge that he's free to do things how he wants to. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to fit into my categories. So yep. because God behaved one way at one point in time and he saw that fit does not necessarily mean that he sees fit to continue to do anything under my presumption. Yeah. Yep. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Last, the last um, comment I want to talk about, because I do think it offers for you and I in our conversations around um, deconstruction, a little bit of a corrective. And Mm -hmm. I think this is a, this is a really fair statement Um, is he says, um, because he was talking about how we may have, we may in some of our comments lean a little bit heavy to the side of like, uh, who hurt you? Yeah. That you deconstructed. Right. Um, and he said the, the harm done acts as a jumping off point, an emotional impetus to start looking at belief. Mm-hmm. It's not the harm that necessarily causes the deconstruction. It's the, it may be the springboard the emotional impetus needed in order to start examining right. belief. Yeah. I think that's a really fair and good statement mm-hmm. um, and uh, accurate and one that as we're talking about deconstruction and kind of examining it ourselves that we shouldn't overlook. Yeah. Um, and I also think <laughs> who hurt you? <laughs> <laughs> who hurt you? Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe tongue in cheek a little bit, but yeah, I, I do. I still do think that that personal hurt well, causes a lot of I, well, as as pastors, right? Like we, I, I would say particularly in our in our gifting set, the things that you and I are particularly good at and called to do as pastors. Like, I think the two of us are, if I were to say, like the two areas that we thrive in would be teaching the Bible and shepherding, or like pastoral care and counseling. (laughs) And we've sat in the room with enough people to know that if I were to sit down, I know this, if I sit down with someone and they say, Pastor Luke, like, you know, a lot of times the way I say it's like, what brings you in today? You know, if they've like set up a meeting with me and rarely is the thing, the thing. Yep. Almost never. It's almost never the thing. There's almost always something else. Yep. And so I don't say that 
to be patronizing. I don't mean that to dismiss the honest intellectual wrestling of people who are deconstructing. I absolutely understand that. Mm -hmm. I also have just done enough work with my own self mm -hmm. and with other people yep. to know that um, the hurt you've experienced, even if it was the starting point and it has now morphed into some intellectual honesty and wrestling, I would also say, I would push back a little bit and say, can you be emotionally honest and admit that that hurt while is not the sum total of your deconstruction, mm -hmm. is perhaps playing a bigger role even now than maybe you intellectually would like to acknowledge. Yep. So when you say tongue in cheek, I, I get it. Like mm -hmm. I never want to. I never want to hear someone's deconstruction story. Simp like, oh, that's nice. Someone must have hurt you. Like and yeah. just kind of dismiss it out. It's not hand. dismissive. No. Don't want to do that. But we also want to be what we are and be yeah, pastors. To, yeah, right. Also be on, like, let us be honest with you when we say, like, in, in my experience, I've been doing this for almost 20 years now. Mm -hmm. And the number of people that have sat in my office or that I've shared a cup of coffee with or that I've been in their living room as their life is falling apart, right? Like, the issue is almost never the issue. Yes. And... Um, and that goes with all manner of people. Mm -hmm. Um, like, well, you never, you obviously don't know someone whose life is really fun. Listen, man, like we've seen it all. There's not much that can surprise there's n either I, you or I, would, I. I would be shocked if I was ever shocked again mm -hmm. at the reality of human experience. Right. Um, and, uh, so we're not naive. We're not naive. It's we're not ignorant. We don't know everything. No. I don't know everything, but we're not coming at this from a place of just blind ignorance or naivety. Yeah. No. Anyway, thanks for listening again. Uh, hope you enjoyed this conversation. Um, would I don't have any idea if we'll continue this particular. Yeah pathway i mean i suppose if we get a lot of comments that continue maybe we will maybe we won't mm -hmm. um seems like to be a growing edge with both of us to talk about this kind of stuff but yeah. we do have other things that we like to talk about <laughs> we do we also uh, have other we have a lot on our plate <laughs> yes yeah. i question are you going to record an episode next week because you're going to be gone i'm going to be gone i'm i'm taking a a, a brief vacation with my mm -hmm. wife to celebrate our honeymoon or well try our honeymoon again yeah i was des i was very very sick on our honeymoon so we're trying yeah. again um you could maybe interview somebody yeah i think maybe i will try yeah to do an episode next week i don't know how i'm going to edit it or get it up well you can do it when you get back because you're going to be back yeah. yeah i'll be back you can just record it yeah you can just put it you record it and you just put it in google drive i'll upload it on sunday or something like yeah. that Cool. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll maybe I'll have Jessica on, or um, he'll do a monologue, or I'll find I'll find something. You'll do something. I'll do something. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. I love the energy. All, All right. right. <laughs> Sounds good. Hey, thanks for listening. Like, comment, subscribe, uh, wherever it is you are listening. If you have any questions that you maybe you're listening and you can't comment but you want to ask a question, we have a text number for the podcast seven one six two zero one zero five zero seven. Thanks for joining us at our little retreat. Um, if anyone wants to loan us like 
a little over a hundred grand. This place is for sale, and we would love to buy it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we'd love to have it. Uh, anyway, thanks, and uh, we'll catch you next time.